Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter two. I'll give you a moment to give and we'll give our our host team a couple more moments to give you an opportunity to give. But we're going to open up today in the book of Genesis chapter two. And as we do, again, thank you for everybody who helped with our tree of dreams, everything, everybody that's helped that helped. We, we went to all these hospitals, the Lurie Hospital. Um, we went to the Stroger Hospital. Uh, we went to Grant a Wish and um, all these great places were so blessed because of our partnership with them and their partnership with us as we minister to all of the people that are hurting and suffering in our city, in our community. We're believing for revival in our land. Can anybody say amen to that? So yet in our world today, everywhere we look, there are people that are stressed out in a time where we're supposed to be celebrating and having the joy and the happiness and the peace and joy to the world. Um, there's so much sadness. There's so much stress. Many people are reaching a breaking point. And we look at the news and we watch uh, all of the things that are going on in the world and we watch what's going on in our own nation. We watch what's going on in our own backyard and it can stress us out and maybe in our own personal lives, just the financial pressure that we might be facing or uh, family trials that you might be going through or a health crisis that you might be facing. And all these things begin to pile up and they add stress to our lives and it can lead to a point of depression. It can lead to a point of deep darkness. It can lead to a point of sadness. It's led to it's led our world to a place of a mental health condition and a mental health issue that is at a staggering and an alarming rate. We're dealing with mental health problems that date all the way back and that go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. We can trace all of the mental issues that we deal with in our world today back to the Garden of Eden. Now, there are physical illnesses in this world that Jesus came to heal, but there's nothing worse than mental conditions and mental illnesses and and the stress and the depression and the sorrow that that life sometimes brings and that the enemy sometimes brings and that our sin has often brought to us. And that's why God has an answer for it. I think in a time where we are singing joy to the world, we're not experiencing joy in our own world. And I want you to learn how to experience joy in your own world. And I want you to find the find the end to your search for happiness. And so I'm going to go over some things today that I think will help you and that will encourage you. But um, sometimes good news starts with some bad news that you can only appreciate the good news when you understand some of the bad news that is going on. And if you think about what's happening in our world today, just giving you some of the, the statistics that are the result of unhappiness in a place called misery that many people find themselves at. Um, you can think about all of the unhappiness and the results of it are high rates of negative health such as heart disease, stroke, sleeping disorders, obesity, stress. 40 million people over almost 50 million people in America suffer from anxiety over almost 400 million people worldwide suffer from depression. We have over 60 million people who suffer from a mental disorder just in America alone. One out of every four adults. We've got eating disorders. We've got depressive disorders. We've got substance abuse disorders. We've got heroin addiction and fentanyl. Heroin alone has increased, doubled in the last 10 years. Fentanyl use and overdose 
has doubled in the last two or three years. It's at a staggering rate. The overdoses, the the addictions, the all of these things are the result of our addiction. We all have an addiction to happiness and we all search for happiness and we're all looking for it in different ways and we're looking for it um, in ways that hurt us sometimes. Somebody said, I believe, um, that um, the great scientist, it was the great scientist and philosopher Blaise Pascal. He said, all men seek happiness. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who kill themselves, even those who kill themselves are seeking relief. They're seeking peace. They're not going to find it, but they're seeking happiness. It's not found in killing yourself. It's not found in taking your life or taking the life of somebody else. But people try to find it there. They seek for it in the wrong places because there's no higher desire and no deeper desire in the heart of mankind than happiness. Happiness is the single most intoxicating emotion that drives every decision and the pursuit of mankind. Is it any wonder that in the Garden of Eden they had they had happiness and then they lost it? And is it any wonder that when Jesus comes, he brings joy and he brings happiness. Let's just go over for a moment the people that as soon as they saw Jesus or heard about Jesus, how it affected their emotions and it transformed their status of from misery to happy, from miserable to joyful, from sorrowful to joyful. Look at the look at the shepherds in Luke chapter two, verse nine. It says, and the angel said to them in Luke chapter two, verse nine, think about it that it says the angel said to them, fear not. He said in verse 10, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all of the people. I bring you good news of great joy or good news that will produce great joy for all people. Do you know that no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how how much you've sinned, no matter how holy you've been, no matter how good or bad you've been, no matter how white you are, how black you are or anything in between, no matter how old you are, how young you are, no matter how big you are, small you are, tall you are, short you are, no matter what color you are, no matter what race, no, no matter what creed, no matter what upbringing, no matter how you brought up with all your pain, no matter what addictions you've been through. Do you know that God promises great joy for all people? that there is nobody in this life that can't. There's nobody. There's nobody that God refuses great joy to. Great joy comes from receiving the good news. The good news of the gospel of Jesus brings great joy. And the first people that experienced it were the people that heard about Jesus, the shepherds. They were the first ones. And then they went and told everybody what was going to happen. And I'm, t I'm here to tell you that when Jesus is introduced into this world, joy is introduced into this world. Happiness is introduced to this world. This world was dark. This world, you think the world is tough now. 2000 years ago, there was so much darkness in the world. There was there was the, the worst of evils existed in the world, the worst of empires, the worst evil. We've had some evil empires since then. But the worst of all happened before Jesus came. Jesus changed everything. When he came into this world, there wasn't one hospital. Jesus introduced hospitalization to people. Take this man who is on this path, this good Samaritan, picks him up and takes him to the inn and gives him money to take care of him. The first hospital it was Jesus 
Jesus idea. That's why hospitals sometimes are called Good Samaritan Hospital. You can probably find one in every major city in the world today. The Good Samaritan Hospital, because Jesus introduced restoring people and healing people and bringing recovery to the people. Jesus, when he came into this earth, he changed everything. He elevated women's status from being unequal to man to being equal with man. He talked to the woman at the well and gave her hope and said, you have just as much a right to the gospel and to this water as anybody else, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're male or female, Jesus elevated the status of women. Jesus elevated the status of the poor. Jesus elevated the status of those that have been marginalized and those that have been forsaken and those that have been forgotten. And Jesus is the champion of all people. He's the champion to bring joy to all the people. Jesus is the champion of all happiness. He's the champion of all satisfaction. He's the champion of all true fulfillment in life. And he's your champion and he's my champion. And I'm honored to call him champ. Oh, he's the champion of all. So we have the shepherds that have this great joy now. And the word for joy in the Oxford Dictionary is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness great pleasure and happiness. Then next we have Zacharias in Luke chapter one in verse 14 through 17, Zacharias and Elizabeth, which the records of the records show the angel Gabriel telling Zacharias concerning the son he would have in his old age in verse 14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Talking about John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the gospel and prepare the way for Jesus. You will have joy. Notice what he says. You will have joy and gladness and many will even rejoice at his birth and for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And in Luke chapter one, verse 46, Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit is rejoiced in God, my savior. The word for rejoice here in verse 47 means a state of great joy and gladness. It means a state of great joy and gladness. In other words, God doesn't want us to just have moments of joy and gladness. He wants us to live in a state. He wants you to relocate. Hey, you don't have to relocate to Florida. You don't have to relocate to Texas. You don't have to relocate anywhere. All you have to do is relocate to the state of gladness and joy that comes from knowing Jesus Christ and knowing his grace in the state of grace brings the state of joy. It brings you to the state of gladness where you are in that you are in that condition, that state uh, on a regular basis. Man, we don't have to be in the state of misery on a regular basis. We can be in the state of joy on a regular basis. This is contrary to how I grew up. I grew up miserable. I grew up depressed. I grew up without happiness in my life. I know some of the reasons why the Lord has shown me some of the reasons why I thought I had the understanding of some of the reasons. And then as I've gotten older and as I've looked back and as I've understood the Bible and understood my salvation and understood what Jesus has done for me, I've learned some of the other reasons why I was always in a state of misery. I'll get to some of that in a moment. But um, I'm telling you, Jesus changed these people. His just the mere introduction of Jesus and the one who would herald his coming brought joy and gladness to everyone who heard about it. Amen. For he has had regard, she said in verse 48, for the humble state of his bondservant. For behold, from this time, all generations will count me blessed. 
for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. How about the Magi in Matthew chapter two, verse nine and ten, where it says "And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the young child was. And verse 10, it says, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Notice when they saw the star leading them to Jesus, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. So we talk about the shepherds we see here. We see Zacharias, we see Elizabeth, we see Mary, we see the Magi. Why were they all so happy? Why did they all have this state of joy that entered into their lives? They didn't have this before this moment. Before Jesus arrived on the scene, they didn't experience it. But now they experience this great joy. Why? Because the arrival of Jesus means that God is with us. The arrival of Jesus means that what created all the unhappiness in the world is now about to be reversed that Jesus coming into the world is going to reverse the curse of unhappiness and sorrow and misery that leads people to making the decisions that they make in life. You see, it would be one thing if misery didn't have any company, but it does. The company that misery brings with it is bad decisions, bad choices, becoming addicted to the wrong things. We're all addicted to happiness. It's just a matter of where we're going to gather that happiness from. And God wants us to get it from him. And God offers it in plenty and with plenty left over for more for everybody, where everybody it's the it's the joy, exceedingly great joy for all people. It's great joy for all the people. That includes you. That includes me. That includes you, Mr. Negative and you, Mr. Pessimist and Miss Pessimist. Even you can have great joy and be set free from negativity and set free from the pessimism and set free from your sorrow and your mourning. And you can be set free from from the pouting of life and the negativity of life and the and the victimhood of life and feeling the pain of life and the sting of people and the betrayal of people. You can be happy in the midst of pain. You can be happy in the midst of darkness. You can be happy in the midst of trouble because the Lord himself has come. Emmanuel is God with us. Everybody knows his name, Emmanuel, God with us. Everybody say God with us. That's why they were so happy. God with us. That's why they were so happy. Listen, you're wondering, well, I'm a Christian. So why aren't I experiencing this joy? I'm going to get to you. We're going to get to all of you. We're going to get to all of us because this applies to every one of us. But this is great news. Good news that brings great joy for all people. I've got to tell you. That the state of sadness and sorrow the world is in today and all the statistics, just some of the statistics that I gave you. I didn't tell you about the suicide rate that's increased. One million people every year commit suicide. Um, 20 or more veterans in America die of suicide each day. One in four women are suffering domestic violence, youth violence, the death of young people through violence 10 times more in America than just about anywhere else in the world. Why? All these startling st statistics, because man apart from God is hopeless. Man apart from God is miserable. 
mankind separated from God is miserable because we were not created to be alone. We were not created to be on our own without God. We were not created to be independent from God. But when Adam and Eve sinned, well, let me just give you a picture before Adam and Eve sinned, how much pleasure there was in Genesis chapter two, verse verse 10. God creates this garden and he says a river went out of garden of the Eden garden to water the garden. So now they didn't even have to water the garden. A river went out from them and watered the garden itself. How many would be having a good day if you never had to water your garden, if you never had to water your plants, if you never had to water anything? How about your grass or when we never had to plow your driveway because there was no snow? And from it parted and became four river heads. And verse 11, he talks about these rivers and he says the name of the first is Pishon. It's one which skirts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. So now he brings economy into the equation before they even needed economy. Listen, God knows what you need before you ever need it. And God created gold. Listen, God created gold for Adam and Eve before they ever had to trade it for anything, before they ever needed it, before they needed understood the value of it. God put gold in this garden and in this river. I'm telling you, folks, listen, there is a river in your life right now. Once you once you taste and see how good the Lord is, you're going to discover the river of God's supply, that God has a supply for whatever your need is before your need ever arises. You might think right now I have a need. And I don't know when's God, when is God going to supply my need? But you need to realize God's already provided for your need. You just haven't discovered it yet. You haven't tapped into the river. Oh, there's a river. Oh, there's a river of gold and there's a river of God's supply. Yes, there's a river that God already made before he even puts you in your world and before he even puts you in motion. He has already put your needs in motion and the supply for all of your needs. He's already put it in motion and everything's going to be all right. You might look at a verse like this and say, oh, can you get anything out of that? Well, I got something out of that. So so can you. That God's provided a river for every child that he creates, every person in his kingdom. He's provided a river that is rich in supply of all your needs. And when we tap into the river, we're never going to be needy another day in our lives. We're going to meet. We're going to see God meet all those needs because he has provided. He's provided emotional need. He's provided physical need. He's provided financial. He's provided all things. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. When Santa leaves the building, you know you're in trouble. I don't know if anybody saw that, but I hope we got that on camera. <sighs> Look at he keeps going in verse 12, verse 13, Genesis 2. And the gold in that land. Look at verse 12. And the gold in that land was was had stones as well. There was the gold was good and the bedelium and the onyx stone are there. And these are valuable, precious stones. Verse 13. And and the name of the second river is Gihon and it's the one which goes around the land of Cush. Verse 14, you say, well, man, I thought we were talking about Christmas. You're talking about Hiddekel and the third river. And then the fourth river is Euphrates. And notice in verse 15, and God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Now, listen to me. The word Eden is the Hebrew word for pleasure. It's the Hebrew word for pleasure. The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of pleasure. In other words, pleasure was God's idea. Happiness was God's idea. The state of joy 
and happiness was God's idea. So why are so many people suffering as I described? It's because they haven't discovered the they've been separated from God and they haven't discovered the connection. They haven't been reconnected the way that God intended for us to be connected. There's power in connection. Oh, you're never going to find happiness until you understand the power of connection. When you're rightly connected to God, when you're rightly connected through Jesus Christ to the Heavenly Father, that's when joy begins. That's when happiness begins. But we're, we're, we're going to get there. I'm ahead of myself for a minute here, but let's go back here. So God takes man and puts him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and keep it, to keep it. In other words, God doesn't want us to lose it. He wants us to cultivate the pleasure that he's created us for and keep it. You say, well, how do we know what well, isn't pleasure pleasure? I've always been told pleasure is sinful. And the fact is, is that pleasure is not sinful. But there are sinful ways that we use to try to obtain pleasure in the wrong ways. But pleasure was God's idea. Pleasure is God's goal for your life. Pleasure is where God wants you to look, live and put you in. And he wants you to tend it, to cultivate it and to keep it. He wants you to cultivate and keep happiness. And how do we do that? Well, we'll get into that. But God wants us to keep it. You say, well, is it really God's idea for us to have pleasure? Well, if you study the word Eden, you'll find it to be the case that this was God's idea, land of pleasure. And if you're not sure about that, let me just take you to Psalm 1611. And it illustrates it even further for us. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11. Many of us quote it, but he said, you'll show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. So if in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, then pleasure can't be bad. Pleasure must be good. And I think if we're all honest, we know pleasure's real good. We love pleasure, but we don't realize that some of our ways of obtaining it are a counterfeit and they're destroying us. And the true pleasure of God doesn't destroy you. It satisfies you. It doesn't leave you needy, broke, busted and disgusted. It satisfies you. It meets your deepest needs. It heals you where you're hurting. It heals the pain in your in your heart. It heals the deepest pain in your soul and it fixes and repairs and restores the deepest cracks in your life and the deepest brokenness of your lives. The Lord is the Lord of pleasure at his right hand. Our pleasures forever, forevermore. But it wasn't always this way for man. He started with pleasure and then he lost it. We know that man lost it because as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they were afraid. And as soon as they were afraid, they became full of sorrow. So we have in Genesis chapter three, verse eight, God says, where are you? After Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God says, where are you in Genesis chapter three, verse eight? And he says, uh, we hid ourselves because we were afraid. We were afraid. We were afraid. Verse 10, he says, I hid myself because I was afraid. And then look at verse 17 or verse 16. Excuse me. Now, notice what God says to, to Eve. And by saying it to Eve, she's saying it to all of mankind because Eve is is the mother of humanity. And she says and he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, your sorrow, your sadness from now on. It's not going to be 
You're not going to be full of pleasure. You're going to be full of displeasure. You're not going to live in a state of happiness. You're going to live in a state of sorrow. And that's because why? Not because I'm punishing you, but because your sins have separated you from God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse one, it says your sins have separated you from God. Isaiah chapter 59, verse one and two, our sins separate us. Look at verse two. Your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, Jesus coming to this earth. No wonder Mary was happy. No wonder Zacharias was happy. No wonder Elizabeth was happy. No wonder the shepherds were happy. No wonder the Magi were happy because Jesus signified that he was going to reverse what Adam had done. The second Adam was now coming to the earth. The second Adam had now arrived on the earth. The first Adam arrived on the earth and separated us from God. But the second Adam comes and reunites us to God and reconciles us to God. God and man be reconciled. Joyful, all creation. When you are reconciled to God, you are reconciled to joy. When you're reconciled to God, you're reconciled to happiness. When you're reconciled to God, you're reconciled to pleasure forevermore. Oh, if we could see this. We're living in unhappiness and we're living in misery. And there are really three reasons why people live in unhappiness. Number one, they're separated from God. Number two, they're separated from right thinking. They have wrong beliefs that bring unhappiness. And I'm going to get to the third one before we're done here today. But these are. This is why man is unhappy, because man is disconnected from the source of true happiness. He's connected. He's disconnected from the source of true pleasure. He's disconnected from the source of joy. You can manufacture it. You can substitute it. You can provide artificial stimulants for it. But those are substitutes. They will not bring everlasting joy. They will not restore you to the joy of your salvation. They will not bring you peace and joy in fullness and uninterrupted. Listen, we are living in a world that is addicted to happiness, but feeding from the wrong bottle to find their happiness, eating from the wrong tree to find that happiness. Um, listen, we are independent of God. We're miserable. So we make up inventions that make us feel better by having artificial friends called Facebook friends. Art, it's artificial friendship. It's an artificial connection. It's not a real connection. It's fabricated. It's made up. It's a cheap substitute. It's a drug that makes people miserable. I'm not I'm, I mean, I hope nobody, you know, at the headquarters of Facebook is watching this. <laughs> but the University of Michigan did a study a few years ago about Facebook and found that Facebook use quote, makes people feel worse about themselves. Using Facebook, quote, can reduce young adults sense and because they, they were studying young adults, but it makes older people miserable, too. I know it. I got a lot of Facebook friends, but not a lot of real ones. 
but you are my friends if you do what I command you. No, I'm just kidding. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus said that. Jesus said that. So you do what he commands. Uh, so this study goes on to say using Facebook can reduce young adults sense of well-being and satisfaction with life. Checking Facebook made people feel worse about their sense of well-being and their satisfaction with life. The more they browsed, the worse they felt, according to the University of Michigan research. Folks, this is not my data. This is secular researched from one of the finest institutions in the world today. And they show this disconnection that we seek connection to in the wrong ways and in cheap ways and in cheap substitutes make us worse off and make us feel more miserable as we compare ourselves to people at their best, people that are having the time of their lives because they took a, a 30 second snapshot of a moment manufactured by their desire to show you on Facebook that you would like so that you would they would try to manipulate manipulate your emotions to get you to like them and dislike yourself because that's what all the likes man sometimes end up being all the likes you like that you have for others, which is pointing to all the dislikes you have of yourself and the desire for you to have other people like you. And this belief system is ruining people's lives and making people miserable. As I said, disconnection from God is the number one reason why there's uh, unhappiness in this world and misery in this world and the wrong belief system. Let me give you some wrong beliefs that really cause some of this. As you think about it, um, we have we have these beliefs that that in our lives we we someone we, we think this, that the um, you need to be liked by everyone in order to be happy. No wonder people are so miserable because we're trying so hard to be liked. Whether it's with a thumbs up or whether it's people at, at our workplace, whether it's when we grew up, we seek to be liked. And the belief that you need to be liked by everyone is what makes people so unhappy. The belief that you need to be good at everything will make you unhappy. You can't be good at everything. You can barely be good at two or three things. If you can be really good at one thing, you ought to go for it. But the belief that you can be good at everything, it's a false belief. You think people that you see modeled in front of you are good at everything. They're good at one thing. The one thing they're modeled in front of you, they're bad at everything else. I'm trying <laughs> the belief, the belief that you can't be happy. You can't celebrate in a world full of danger and suffering. Oh, this is a belief that kept that catches a lot of people in the name of goodness, in the name of fairness, in the name of decency. So when the whenever they're suffering in the world, you can't you got to keep quiet. You can't celebrate. You can't be happy because if you're happy, you're being insensitive to the suffering in this world. I'm sorry. There will always be suffering. Jesus said there will always be poor among you. See, this woman's pouring this perfume on Jesus feet and her head and his head and she's worshiping him and they're mad because they're saying all this could be given to the poor. And Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. You're not always going to have me. I'm the source of real joy. 
I'm a reason for you to worship. I'm giving you something to live for. I'm giving you hope. I'm fulfilling your dream. I'm in your midst. I'm God in the flesh. I am right here among you. I won't be with you always. So you better let this woman worship however she wants to worship me. I'm sorry to get so excited, but I'm just so excited. Because I don't find any joy in myself. I find joy in his presence. That he would come and be Emmanuel with me. That would make anybody, anybody like me happy that the son of God wants to be with me. He wants to be Emmanuel with me. My God, that makes me happy. My God, that gives me joy. My God, that makes me feel like the cat that swallowed the canary. I feel like Sylvester finally got Tweety Bird. <laughs> you know how just one time, one time Sylvester finally swallows Tweety. And then something comes along and makes him, you know, spit, or, spit, or, spit him or her out. I don't know, Tweety, a girl or a guy. I don't know. <laughs> but when you, oh man, that he would come and not just dwell with me, but in me. And he's for me. And he, He's with you and he's for you and he's in you. That should make you happy. And then he would come and even though you're all screwed up and even though you didn't pray right and even though you didn't know much and didn't know anything and even though you're all caught up in sin and all just stuck up in it all the way to the top, not like water to the brim. I'm talking about you're full of something else. You know what it is. And yet he still says, I'll come. I'll still be with you. I'll still come. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so awesome. You see, it's our ignorance, lack of knowledge of his presence that is separating us from our joy and pleasure and happiness. It's, it's we're thinking, oh, what did I do to make God leave? Or what can I do to draw him closer? How much closer can he get? He lives inside of you. You can't get much closer than that. He lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit is in you. You're the temple of God. Oh, I wish God could come closer to me. He's like knocking from within. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not standing at the door over here. He was talking to Christians in Revelation chapter three. He's not standing out here knocking at the door. He's standing in here knocking at the door. He's on the inside knocking, saying, let me I'm in. Let me let me through. Let me in. Let me out. Let me in your mind. Let me in your soul. Let me in your memories. Let me in your past. Let me in your trouble. He's 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 already inside of you and he's knocking on the door to get you to realize it. My God, you say, well, what's this third thing? Because these beliefs are what, you know, being separated from God. That's problem number one. This wrong belief system is problem number two. People believe that 
it's a catastrophe when things don't go as we hoped. That's a belief system that's, just, that's keeping people from being happy. That if things don't go the way I hope, that that's a problem and I should, I should be unhappy until they start going my way. We have to stop thinking. Uh, this will really help somebody here today. We have to stop thinking what, about what life is doing to us. And we have to start thinking from the perspective of what life is doing for us. Man. That if you will just change that one word, you will, you, will, you, will, you will be transformed from a victim to a victor by just changing that one word that I'm not going to look at life as far as what it is doing to me. I'm going to look at life as what it is doing for me, that it is always doing something for me, that it is always obtaining something for me, that life is always unfolding for my good. Life is always unfolding to make things better. The path is always getting brighter for the righteous. The path of the righteous is brighter and brighter until the full day. Life is doing something for me. It may be disguised and it looks like something against me, but ultimately it's just wearing a mask. It's ultimately for me. I just need to believe it and I need to trust that God is good and that he's for me and something good's about to happen in my life because God is for me and because the world, because what life is doing is ultimately for me, not to me. When you walk around like life has done this to me and people have done this to me, you are a victim for the rest of your life and you'll be in bondage to your own belief. And the third thing that is that makes us unhappy and leaves us unhappy, even as Christians, is that we're not connected to God's people. God created us to be connected to his body, not just his head. We're supposed to be connected to his head, and that's how we're saved. We're born again when we accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. But when we're connected, when we're connected to his body, we become healthy. When we're connected to his body, we find our purpose. When we're connected to his body, we find our usefulness. When we're connected to his body, we find our happiness. When we're connected to his body, we no longer need the things that we thought we needed or strive for the things that we strive for or look for the happiness in all the other things because I'll tell you what, I know what it's like to be depressed and I know what it's like to be miserable and I know what it's like to have even bouts today of unhappiness. And when I walk into the church, something changes inside of me when I and it's not because I walk into the building, but when I walk among the people and when I see the people praising and I see the people worshiping and I see the people bringing their Bible and their notebook and and, and I'm the pastor and I, I, I'm like, whoa, this is exciting to me. This makes me happy that I see people. The Bible says, come, let us go to the house of the Lord together. Let us talk about the Lord to one another. Let us fellowship with one another. Let us break bread to one another. Let's take the Lord's table and the Lord's supper and commune with one another. When you are connected to the body, you are connected to the source of happiness because that joy of God's heart is when we are connected he said, then when the world sees that we love one another, that's when the world will know we're his disciples. There's something about being connected to the body of Christ. We're connected to the head through salvation. But when we're connected to the body, we see restoration. We see the deliverance from um, addictive behaviors that try to obtain happiness in some other way other than God's way. I'm telling you, there is a habit you should develop beginning today. You should make this a regular habit in your 
your life because it will make you happy and it will make you complete and it will help you fulfill your life. And it is the habit of coming to church on a regular basis, not on your not on your calendar, not on your what you what works for you, but on a consistent basis. Hebrews 10:25 says, do not forsake the assembling together, as is the habit of some, as is the habit of some, but exhorting one another and even more as you see the day approaching the Lord's second coming, just as sure as he came the first time, he is coming a second time. And as we get every day, we get closer and we all the more need to assemble ourselves together. He said, do not forsake the assembling together. You know, if you look back in Matthew 1, or wherever that definition of Emmanuel is, you know the definition. It's Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. There's the there's a key word there, us. That yes, God is with you the moment you accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, but his power is manifested with us. He came in the flesh to be with us. There's something supernatural that happens when we come together on a regular basis, not just when you can get the day off or when you can wake up early or when the bears aren't playing at noon. I'm telling you, I'm giving you the best Christmas present you could ever get an exhortation that when you are rightly connected to the church, it's not. Yes, we're in a building, but it's the people in the building that are connected, not just today, but um, when we gather together, when the doors open, we should be running to the church. We shouldn't be like, oh, you want to go to you want to go today? I don't know. You want to go? We, we treat a church like like it's some sort of like uh, it, it's like going to the mall or going to the theater, or going to a restaurant. You want to go out to eat or you want to stay home and eat. Nothing against you guys online watching right now. We're glad you're with us. But if you're in the area, you should be with us physically. Because there's something powerful that happens. He said they came together, Acts 2:42, and they continued steadfastly together with the apostles teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. You're going to have to like crucify your flesh and say, I'm going to become steadfast. Let me tell you why this is so important. There was a study done of rats and all of our research, all of humans research on um, why people get addicted to the wrong things, to drugs, to heroin, to fentanyl, to the su substance abuse. All of the research that people had done was really simplistic research that you could do in your basement. It was research that was done with with a rat. So they would take they would put a rat in a cage to understand how people got addicted to drugs or became addicted to anything. They would put a rat in a cage and they would give them two bottles. One was a bottle of water and that was his option. And the other was a bottle of water, but it was laced with heroin or with cocaine. And almost 100 percent of the time they put this rat in this cage and almost 100 percent of the time the rat would drink of the water with heroin and would continue to drink the water laced with heroin until it got addicted and died and over uh, died of overdose. And so the researchers told us that that meant that if you're ever introduced to heroin or if you're ever introduced to this to these hard, high powered narcotics, you will become addicted because of how powerful the substance is. And while I don't encourage anybody to try these drugs, 
that is not later research has revealed that it's because many people have tried drugs and not got addicted to them. Many people have drunk, have have drank, I don't know, drank, drunk, drink alcohol and have not become addicted to it. Many people have had a, 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 a cigarette or a cigar and have not become addicted. Many people have had sex and not become addicted. Are you are you? Come on now. I'm almost done here, but I got to reveal to you the research. So so this is what they thought, that as soon as you as soon as you taste it, you're going to be addicted because if you have that in your DNA, it's just going to awaken that addiction and you'll be forever addicted to them. And here's what they found. Professor uh, Bruce Alexander of the Vancouver, a psychologist in Vancouver. He did this experience. He said, I don't want to I don't believe this research. I want to try something else. So this is what he did. He built a cage that he called the rat park, which is basically heaven for rats. They've got loads of cheese. They got loads of colored balls. They've got loads of tunnels. And most importantly, they had loads of friends. They also had both bottles of water, the regular water and the drug laced water. But here's the fascinating thing in Rat Park. They didn't like the drug water. They almost never used it and none of them ever used it compulsively and none of them overdosed. They went from almost 100 percent overdose of rats when they were isolated to zero percent overdose when they when they have happy and connected lives. The, this is the point. Is that the research had been assumed, but it was wrong. That it wasn't the drug that made them addicted to the drug. It was the isolation that created a need for them to find happiness in the drug. And this is how it is for so many Christians. We isolate ourselves. And what do we need to do then? We need to drink drug laced relationships, drug laced. And I mean, I use drug in a figurative way, but it's 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 we we we, we need artificial stimulants to bring us happiness and connectivity. And you don't you being on you being on social media doesn't make you a member of a church. You got to get your butt in the place, because if your butt's there, the rest of you's there. So give up all your butts and get in the house of God, because there you're going to find connectivity with many people and purpose and the body helping itself, helping each other and everybody, every joint supplying and the, the, the blessing is in the cluster of grapes. Nobody goes to the store and buys a grape. I'll have a grape, please. Just one. Yeah, just one grape. OK, well, you're not going to get much out of it. But yeah, but I just came for one grape. You know, the only time you ever go for one grape is when you're tasting them at the at the store. <laughs> stealing them. God, forgive us all. <laughs> Bunch of grape thieves. But when you go to buy grapes, you buy a cluster because grapes go together. Grapes taste best, taste best together. No one can eat just one because grapes are connected to each other because they're connected to the vine. 
and Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. And the cluster and the wine and the joy and the happiness is all in the cluster.